I wasn't introduced as my husband in first service because there was a different MC. That would have been weird. All right, if you didn't laugh, uh, that's okay. I'm, I still love you. It wasn't that good of a joke. All right, good morning. Hey, I want to get your attention with a little story, a little thought thing we're going to do together. And it starts with this picture of an apple that's rotten on the inside. Have you ever bitten into a piece of fruit that looked like that once you got into it? It looks so good on the outside, shiny. You're like, ooh, I'm about to eat some crisp, apple goodness. And then you bite in and it's like mush. Ugh, gross. Or maybe you go to the fridge on a hot day for a cold, refreshing glass of milk. In your haste to be refreshed, you forget to check the expiration date. And you pour a cup and it looks so good in the cup. And then you go to take your gulp and maybe you have a reaction a little bit like this. Oh, it was sour. Gross, sour milk. Well, Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day for being like the rotten apple and the sour milk. We'll get Jimmy Fallon to stop spitting there on the slide behind me. You see... The religious leaders of his day followed all the rules and they looked really good on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were full of wickedness and hypocrisy. And Jesus said, the important thing isn't what you look like or how well you know the rules and follow them. It's what's going on on the inside. It's about relationship. And that happens in a deeper place at the heart level. So we're starting a new sermon series called You Have Heard It Said. We're going to spend the next six weeks looking at some of Jesus' teaching related to this in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to see that kingdom living happens at the heart level, not at the level of the rules. Sure, Jesus has guidelines for how to live in his kingdom, um, but he wants you to go deeper. He wants to get to the heart of the matter with you. And actually, Jesus extends his guidelines beyond the letter of the law to the heart of the matter, and he raises the bar at every turn. You'll see it every week on each topic that we tackle. We're going to look at things like anger, lust, and revenge in this series. So today, let's take a deeper look at kingdom living, and specifically in the area of sexuality. And I just want to highlight the main points to you before we start, so you know what's coming. One big thing is that kingdom living happens at the heart level. That's a key to all of this. And then we're going to kind of talk about four different sections this morning. The first is that true righteousness goes deeper than the rules. Two, that sexual sin is conceived in the heart, and that's really true of all sin. Three, that we need to cut off and put to death sexual immorality and sin. And then four, we can invest in a heart that overflows with purity. So that's where we're going today. That's your roadmap. If you're taking notes, those are the things that you'll want to use as headings. <clears throat> but we're going to jump into a passage, and really the whole series is captured in Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 to 48. So I want to read you 20 and 48 and our section in the middle, but there's a bunch of other verses we'll get in weeks to come. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, so in verse 20, Jesus starts with this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, those religious leaders we were talking about, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Then we jump to that end of the whole passage. And he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So we see right at the beginning in verse 20 how true righteousness goes deeper than the rules. Jesus bookends this series of teachings by raising the bar. He starts by saying the most righteous people you can think of are falling short, even though they're following all the rules. And then at the end he says, you know what the true standard is? It's the perfection of the Heavenly Father. Talk about raising the bar. That's as high as it goes. So you might be asking yourself, what I asked myself when I realized that, is my situation hopeless? I'm not perfect like the Heavenly Father. The answer is no. Your situation is definitely not hopeless. And here's why. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So righteousness and a pure heart is available to us through Jesus Christ. He became a sin offering on the cross to make this hopeless situation hopeful, to give us a way to deal with a standard that is so high we can't meet it through forgiveness. So we're going to jump into what Jesus says about living life in his kingdom, living life his way. But I don't want you to get it twisted. Don't get it backwards. It's so easy to do and so many of us do it where we start looking at the rules and the ways of living without remembering where it starts. And it starts with forgiveness first. And then we look at kingdom living after that. And the case study for this, specifically in the area of adultery too, is in John chapter 8, where those religious leaders brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And they say to him, what do you think we should do with her? And what does he say first? He says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He's not thinking about condemnation. He's not thinking about the rules yet until he takes care of business. No one throws a rock at her. They all leave because they know they've all sinned too. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go and sin no more. The order is so important, you guys. And my thinking was so backwards for so long, so I just don't want you to miss that. Forgiveness first through the cross of Jesus Christ is available to you. And then the stuff we're going to talk about the rest of the morning comes after that. It's the way to live life in his kingdom as he designed, to live life to its fullest. I think that makes sense. I'm seeing a lot of people nod their heads, so that's great. All right. So as we dive in, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery in the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And we see, like we said, Jesus raises the bar. The the commandment said, hey, don't go commit adultery. It's like doing an actual thing. And Jesus raises the bar so high to a look with lustful intent. He's saying sin happens in the heart. It's not just what you do, but it's what's going on inside. That definitely raises the bar very high. So we want to look at a couple of the Greek words used in what Jesus said, and what do they really mean? When he talks about to look with lustful intent. The word look can mean to turn the eyes to, to gaze at, but it can also mean um, to see with the mind's eye, 
to turn the thought or direct the mind to. So he's talking about what we look at and what we think about. And then lustful intent can be translated to set one's heart upon, to long for, to desire, lust, or covet. So the look with lustful intent is what Jesus is saying is um, where sexual sin starts. To look at, to think about with this lust or covetousness. Covet means to want something that's not yours. So, um, I think that's really the best way to look at it. It's a desire to take what is not mine. And so, it's kind of like stealing. And I just wanted to point out who is being stolen from when you lust. So if you lust, you're stealing from the one that you lust after. You're consuming their appearance or who they are for your own pleasure. So you're stealing from them. You're also stealing from yourself. And here's why. God designed life to be lived in a certain way, under certain parameters, and that is the best life you could possibly have. So when it comes to sex, God designed it for the marriage relationship. And when you have sex inside the marriage relationship, that is the best way to do it. And when it's taken out of that context, you diminish that. You steal from the best life you could have. You reduce your, your life to something lower. You settle for less. You're actually also stealing from your spouse, present or future. So even if you're not married today, you're stealing a gift you have to give them. You're diminishing the value and the quantity of that gift by spreading it around others. I was kind of thinking about it like a box of chocolates. If I buy some nice chocolates for Marilee to give her on Valentine's Day, but I open it and I eat a few, and then I give it to her, I've devalued the gift a little bit, haven't I? And that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, one bite out of each chocolate and give it to her. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. Practical advice for marriage. All right, it's also stealing from the spouse of the one that you lust after, because that's their gift God's given to them. The, the attraction, appearance, sexuality of their partner. All right, I think you get the point. Okay, so let's dig a little deeper into this idea that sexual sin is conceived in the heart. James chapter 1 just nails this right on the head, hits it on the head. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we have this little progression. You need arrows to visualize that. So I put arrows on this slide. (laughs) Desire leads to temptation, leads to sin, leads to death. Right? And then I used a little programmer's notation there. Temptation does not equal sin. Exclamation point equal sign means does not equals. Temptation does not equal sin. So if you're tempted in the area of sexuality, you've not sinned yet. The evidence for that is Jesus. He spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness, and then the devil himself came and tempted Jesus again and again and again. Jesus was tempted but didn't sin. So there's a difference. That's the good news. The flip side to that coin, ladies and gentlemen, is it's a very slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope. You don't want to hang out in that place of temptation because desire in your heart can lead to temptation. You don't want to dwell on desires that are going to lead you to temptation. You don't want to flirt with temptation. 
You don't want to hang around with temptation because it's hard to stay in that place and not sin. And sin, it's a package deal. It comes with death. That's what it does. Sin leads to death. So the solution to the slippery slope, whether it's sexual immorality or any type, is flee. Now, if you're picturing a little jumping bug that's going to bite you or your pet, that's not what I mean by flee. I mean run. Run away from sin. Run away from sexual immorality. That's the solution offered in 1 Corinthians 6. And I just want to point out, once you cross the line into sin, it kind of doesn't matter how far you go after that. You've sinned. And remember, the standard was perfection. So whether it's an actual affair or actual sex before you're married, whether it's pornography, fantasy, you know, fueled by a romance novel or something you see on a billboard or in a magazine, it's all sin and it's all serious. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5. Okay, so what do we do with sin when we cross the line? Well, let's see what Jesus said. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He says the same about your hand. Cut it off, throw it away. It's better than going to hell. I believe what Jesus said is literally actually true. No, literally actually true. It would be better to live a life without an eye or without a hand and inherit eternal life. That is truth. But it's not the point. There's no evidence that anyone who followed Jesus or any of his disciples uh, mutilated themselves in their physical body. The actual point he's making is that sin is serious. We need to do something about it. There are consequences to sin. And the other point is Get rid of anything that keeps you trapped in sin. Get rid of it. Okay. I love what the Life Application Bible says about this. It says, We sometimes tolerate sins in our lives that, left unchecked, could eventually destroy us. It is better to experience the pain of removal than to allow the sin to bring judgment and condemnation. Get rid of sin. Cut it off. Even if it seems like it might be painful. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Colossians. He said, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Put to death the nature that leads to those things. Cut it off. Put it to death. All right, I want to tell you a story to help illustrate this point a little bit. Would you just wave at me and raise your hand if you know who Aaron Ralston is? Some of you attended first service. (laughs) I won't call it cheating. That's fair. That's fair. I'm glad you attended first service. Okay, Aaron Ralston's the guy. uh, There was a book written about him uh, called Between a Rock and a Hard Place and a movie made about his experience called 127 Hours. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah, that climber guy who... Yeah, all right, we're going to get into that. Okay, so Aaron Ralston, in 2003, uh, went for a hike and a climbing excursion in the canyons of Utah, and he didn't tell any friends or family where he was going. He'd done tons of solo trips, he climbed tons of mountains, so he's very experienced, but he didn't tell anybody where he was going. 
And while he was out there, he fell and got trapped right about here by an 800-pound boulder on one side and a canyon wall on the other, just like that. He spent the next five days stuck there with little more than a granola bar and a little bladder with the tuby straw of water and a multi-tool. We'll come back to that multi-tool in a minute. Um, <laughs> he realized pretty quickly he was going to die. This is a really remote spot. You know, it's not like your favorite paved walking trail here in Kalamazoo or Portage, where like somebody will be by in five or 10 minutes, definitely by tomorrow. No, uh, there was very little chance anybody was gonna find him in this canyon. So he knew he was gonna die there. His hand was already in the process of dying. It was decomposing. There's this little tidbit where he kind of pokes it with the knife to see what's up and it kind of like let out a puff of air, which apparently happens when your hand is done dead. <laughs> Not good. Um, <clears throat> so it was real obvious what was happening. And I want to read you some quotes and excerpts from a news article written about him after his uh, book came out. He said, I was going to have to cut my arm off to get free, but I didn't want to do it. Yeah, Aaron, me neither. I wouldn't want to do that. Let's just pause for a drink. This is going to get, this is going to get a little gross. So he tried and realized he wasn't going to be able to cut his arm off with the multi-tool. He couldn't get through the bone. But a couple days later, he has this epiphany. He realizes, I could use the boulder to break my arm. And he said it was like fireworks going off in his mind when he realized this, because he was going to get out of there. He had a solution. Crazy solution, but he had one. <laughs> so <clears throat> he breaks the bone and he goes through the amputation. Um, the amputation process took over an hour. But he said in this news article, it was actually very euphoric. <laughs> I can't imagine. He said, I had a huge grin on my face as I picked up that knife to start this horrific thing. It was traumatic, but a blessing to get out of there. He experienced extreme pain and absolute elation. I mean, can you imagine being trapped for five days, certain you're going to die, there is no hope, and then all of a sudden, there's a way out. Yeah. You can get free. <laughs> but you've got to go through something awful to get there. Pain, elation at getting free. And so when he does it, he actually breaks the bone, cuts through the stuff, ties a tourniquet, repels 60 feet, I think it was, <laughs> and walks out of the canyon, and he described that as being reborn, because he was as good as dead, but now he was free. So he walks out, he does find some people after he gets out of the canyon who call for help, and he was saved, which is why we have his book and movie. Um, yeah. Take a deep breath if you're a little squeamish, and let's move on. There's some spiritual parallels I want to point out. I didn't mean to just gross you out and tell you a crazy story. There are parallels to what we're talking about in the story of Aaron Ralston. You see, we're trapped like he was. We're trapped by sin, and it leads to death. In fact, our sin, our sinful nature, is already decomposing. It's dying inside of us, and it's going to take us with it. If we stay attached to our sinful nature, we are going to die with it. That's what the Bible says. But 
We already talked about it a little bit. Through the cross of Christ, there's a way out. If we have the courage to cut off our sinful nature, receive the forgiveness through the cross of Christ, we can be free of sin and death, and we can experience eternal life. That's good news. But it takes some courage. (laughs) It takes some courage. (laughs) All right. So the the analogy breaks down at this point because uh, Aaron Ralston cut off his hand and walked away. And and he had many things to deal with. I don't want to belittle those in any way. You know, psychologically, emotionally, physically, he had a lot to deal with. So his situation wasn't over. But in one sense, he cut the thing off and walked away. He didn't go back and get retrapped by a boulder again and again. But our sinful nature has a way of doing that. It keeps coming back, popping up, And it wants to trap you again and again between a rock and a hard place. It wants to kill you. You know, in John 10, it says that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. So you have an enemy of your souls and you have this sinful nature that wants to trap you and kill you. So we have a little two-step plan. These are two of the four things we said we were going to talk about. Cut off the sinful nature. Put it to death. But keep cutting it off whenever it tries to come back. And then we're going to transition to talking about investing in a pure heart that overflows. That's the second part of this two-step plan. Cut off the sinful nature. Invest in a pure heart. So let's dig into it a little deeper. Jesus said this in Luke 6. He said, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Good, good, good. It's all good. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what you say and do is coming up out of what's inside you. It's a, it's a natural outflowing of what has already been put inside of you. So Jesus compares our heart to a treasury, a bank account, a retirement plan, whatever works for you to think about. We need to make good deposits, frequent deposits, into our heart. This is a critical part of kingdom living. Because we know whatever's in our heart's going to overflow. We need to make good heart deposits. Let's put it another way. Again, we'll read one of the letters of Paul to the Philippians this time. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's talking about making good heart deposits, dwelling on things in our mind and our heart that are good. So we reap a good reward later. So if you combine the two steps, to cut off sin and invest in a pure heart, it's kind of like a replacement plan. So let's just talk about what that would look like when it comes to sexual morality. You know, maybe we need to cut off fantasy. You know, an alternate reality we create to have something to escape to or to comfort ourselves through, you know, romance novels or pornography or certain relationships, whatever it is. We need to cut that off and replace it with God's reality. God has you right where you're at in the circumstances of your life. And you can find the good in that. And even if you're going through really hard times, you can find comfort 
in, in Jesus. Comfort in his Holy Spirit inside of you, even if times are tough, rather than going to something else for comfort. So that's a replacement plan, fantasy for reality. Another one is replacing the desire to take what is not mine. Replace that with contentment with what I do have. Replace self-centered thinking with thinking that's centered on God and others. Replace my way of living with his way of living. Really sums it up. That's what we're after. All right, so we're just going to kind of come back and review where we've been. This is what we said we were going to do. This is what we're doing. Kingdom living happens at the heart level. Jesus raised the bar high for kingdom living. One, true righteousness goes deeper than following the rules. Two, sexual sin is conceived in the heart. Really, all sin is conceived in the heart. So we need to cut off and put to death sin and sexual immorality and then invest in a heart that overflows with purity and God's way of living. So Jesus has laid out the fact that there's a standard for purity and right living that's too high for any of us to achieve. Even the people following all the rules are falling short when it comes to the heart of the matter. It's true for sexual immorality. It's true for all areas of life. Actually, Romans 3.23 puts it this way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of, the, of God. Romans 6.23 adds to that. It says the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned, and what we've earned is death. We've talked about that today. And that's bad news if we stay right there. But Romans 6.23 continues on to the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus died on a cross to solve the problem that we couldn't solve on our own. We can be forgiven and set free, and that's what he wants for you. Forgiveness, and then this amazing life, life to the fullest, is what he wants for you. But that first step is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's where it all begins. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So that's how you do it. That's how you start. It's just by saying, Jesus, you're Lord. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I believe in you. If you've never taken that step, I would just ask you to do it today. Do it today. And I would love to pray with you after service ends. We have a prayer team available as well. Just catch one of us and say, hey, can we pray together? I'd love to do that. All right, maybe you've taken that step already, or you plan to in a little bit. Um, But it's possible to take that step and still feel kind of stuck. You know, maybe stuck again and again by the same mistakes. Stuck, trapped by that sinful nature. Maybe you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place and you're not quite sure how to get out. Or you're discouraged that it's never going to change. I want to bring you some encouragement from the words of C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. He said, we need not despair, even in our worst, for our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. That's encouraging. I just want to read it again. It's too good to keep going. We need not despair, even in our worst. No matter how stuck you feel, how bad you feel you've sinned. You don't have to despair, for your failures are forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ if you choose to accept him as Lord. 
The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. So receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Live the way he's talking about. Aim for his standard and live his way with his help. Would you just stand with me for a minute? I want us to take a minute to respond to the message. So just bow your head and close your eyes or take whatever posture works well for you to pray. I'm going to just lead you in asking the Lord a question and give you a minute to listen to what he might say. Just ask him this, God, is there a replacement you want me to make in my life? Something to cut off and walk away from and something you want me to deposit in my heart? He may ask you to cancel a subscription, stop hanging out with certain people, maybe give up a certain TV series that you like. Whatever it is, capitalize on this moment of clarity. Don't go back to life as usual without taking action. Make a plan this week to do what he asked you to to do. It's for your good. Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to have life to the fullest. That's why he's asking you to cut something off, because it's keeping you from that full life. Before we close in prayer, I just want to say one more thing to you. You're meant to live free in God's kingdom. You're meant to live that full life. There's so many other people in this world who are trapped by sin, And you have the opportunity to get free for your own sake and be the rescue party that goes and finds others who are trapped between a rock and a hard place with their sin. So it's important that we take action, that we do it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to suffer and die so that we can be forgiven. Jesus, you bridged a gap that we never could between where we're at in our sin and eternal life with our Heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you. We receive your forgiveness this morning, God. And Lord, I pray for each person here that heard from you this morning. They may have even known before they asked what they need to cut off and get rid of in their life and what they need to do what they need what good deposits they need to make into their heart god i pray you give them the grace to do it this week and really for the rest of their lives to follow you into kingdom living at the heart level motivated out of the sacrifice you made for us jesus we want to follow you and live life your way Pray you'd set people free all over this room, all over this world, God, that we live free and help you set others free. In Jesus' name, amen.